We're finishing our Next Step series. We've been here since the first of the year, and we're finishing it today. Um, and with the next step, that's going to, um, uh, I think it's a tough word, and especially a tough word uh, if not heard in the whole context that I'm going to deliver it uh, in. Because a next step as we move forward with God, somewhere along the line, as we start, uh, take the next step somewhere along the line as we move forward with God um, we must evaluate our friendships and that's hard isn't it and I don't even like saying it because it makes us as Christians seem haughty or self-righteous pharisaical too good for other people and that's not at all what I'm trying to say here. But the Bible has much, much to say about evaluating your friendships. The Bible has much to say about who you choose to uh, spend your time with. You meet people by chance, but you're friends with people by choice. My friends, I'm meaning people that influence you. I'm not meaning um, just people that are your acquaintances, people you know the name of. It's not who I'm talking about. I mean people that influence you. We're friendly with everyone. We're not talking about turning a cold shoulder to somebody. It has nothing to do at all with what I'm talking about. Nothing. We're friendly, but we're not friends with everyone friends are people that you allow in your life to influence you and to those people the bible says be careful who those people are be very careful who those people are in your life um, there's a lot of scriptures and i'm just going to briefly touch on this topic and kind of transition over to another topic that has to do with friends but in about five or six weeks I'm going to come back to this again because it's just spoken of so often in scripture and it's really hard for me to see how we can move forward with God without being very careful who our friendships are um, and I, I again I don't even like saying that don't tweet out that Pastor Mark said you better be careful who your friends are because that'll be so misunderstood. And that'll make me sound so pharisaical and so self-righteous. And that's why this message has to be heard in the context that it's given. But you cannot get around the truth. The Bible says you must choose who your friends are. You must choose them very carefully. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Uh, another translation of that says, Disassociate. That's hard. That doesn't sound Christian. That doesn't sound Christian. But I don't know about you. At least at the very start of my Christian walk, there are folks I had to disassociate myself with. 
And the reason was I wasn't strong enough yet as a Christian to be able to resist their influence. I was still young in the faith and I was really susceptible to a lot of the temptations of the past. I hadn't been able to work through a lot of those. And I, I knew that I could easily fall back into my old pattern, especially if I'm around the group of people that I used to hang around with. And so there, there were some deliberate decisions that I made back then. Um, Proverbs chapter 22 is another one of, of the scriptures that talk about friendships. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Even if you don't take on their hot-tempered ways, do you know what collateral damage means? I find myself with a hot-tempered person. I'm not hot-tempered myself. I don't lose my temper myself, but I find myself friends with a hot-tempered person. He blows his cool. He does something stupid. I'm in the, in the vicinity of that. I'm collateral damage. He, he gets in a fight because of his hot temper. I'm his friend, so I've got to take up for him. And all of a sudden, there's this fight that I wanted nothing to do with, to begin with. But I was friends with a hot-tempered guy. The Bible says very, be very careful who your friends are. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul writes, Bad company corrupts good character. Your parents said it this way, you're known by the company you keep. They said that to you, and they're still saying it to you, and they're right, and they're biblical. Almost every dumb thing I've ever done in my life was a community event. <laughs> do you do dumb stuff? By, I, mean, I mean, when I was a kid and I did something, uh, it was probably because of peer pressure. It was because of, uh, very seldom did you go out and do something really stupid by yourself. It was a community event. My boys are, are this weekend are gone to the clergy kids retreat. Mount Vernon puts on a retreat for clergy kids and they're up at Kalahari and and as we were driving them to the bus to take them up there, um, uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, all their escapades that they're going to do, you know. And uh, that's, you know why that is? Because a bunch of guys are getting together. Now, hopefully they'll make good choices, but if they make poor ones, it just won't be one person that does it by himself. They'll be in it together. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's why the Bible says be very careful and evaluate your friendships are your friendships not the people you know not the people you say hi with i'm just not about talking about the people you work with sitting in a cubicle next to that person this is not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the people you allow to influence you those are your friends other people are acquaintances the people that you allow to influence you are your friends and the Bible says be very very careful about those people your friends are a choice that you make you as I've said you meet people by chance you are friends by choice and making the right choices when it comes to friends 
making the right choices when it comes to people who positively influence you or negatively influencing you. Making the right choices to who your friends are will enhance your discipleship and take you closer to Jesus. That's a really hard statement. And I'll say it again. It sounds haughty. It sounds self-righteous. And it sounds pharisaical. And that's not the way that I'm intending it to sound, but I know it just does. But there's no question the truth of it is about the choices that I make and who my friends are, the people that influence me, will e either enhance my discipleship or will detract from it. Will either move me closer to Jesus or move me farther away from Jesus. You cannot get around the truth of that statement. Proverbs chapter 28 Verse 7, a discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. What's a glutton? I think we normally think of, of eating with that, but a glutton is just a person that's out of control. He's, he or she has gone overboard. And, and if you're, a person, you're with a person that has no self-control, you, you may have self-control, but you can be part of that collateral damage. I, you're not, you're not going to believe this because this story makes me sound like the angel, and I, I certainly wasn't the angel, but I don't know how old we were. We were 17 or 18, and, and it was Christmas time. And so there's four or five of us out running around, and we were in this guy's van, work van. And for some reason, we decided to steal a Christmas tree. Now, I promise you it wasn't my idea. It really wasn't. Now, I've done stuff worse than that, but I promise you, that night, it wasn't my idea. And I knew that it was not going to turn out right. And it didn't about three blocks later when the police pulled us over. And when my dad came and picked me up, he didn't buy the fact, it wasn't my idea, Dad. Difficulty. Trouble sometimes happens, most of the time happens in community. A companion of fools suffers harm. <laughs> Even if you don't want to do the foolish thing or aren't the foolish one that night. <laughs> A companion of fools suffers harm. Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, and Proverbs 7 all talk about be careful about your companions and be careful about, especially about your companions of the opposite sex. Because things can start real easily and can start real innocently, but you have to be very, very careful where that line is. There are so many, come on, let me be honest, there are so many pastors that have gotten themselves in trouble. And it started with nothing but an innocent counseling session. Well-meaning, probably. But somewhere a line was crossed. Somewhere a line was crossed. And we have to watch that line, with obviously, with both sexes. But 
there's a line there with the opposite sex that's really, really hard. I've, I, don't, I don't travel. I don't travel in a car with the opposite sex, except my wife. I mean, maybe if there's a bunch in the car, but just me and another female, that just don't happen. It could be the most innocent thing in the whole world, but why would I ever put myself in that situation? Why would I put myself in the situation for, for one, of, one of you all to see me driving in that car with that other person? And you would take that wrong, and then all of a sudden there's an issue that could have been avoided if I would just drawn the line where it needs to be drawn. I had, had, had a person disagree with me one time on this, and, and they say by, by, you know, me making that rule, female pastors can't really uh, learn from, from me or other guys on the staff because we don't have that kind of relationship. And, uh, you know, when we travel somewhere, we may go in different cars and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, but too bad. Can I say that? You, you avoid... You avoid that rule of being careful with the opposite sex to your own peril if you avoid that. And so for three, whole cha- three of the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs have to do with be careful about the opposite sex. One, one, out, of about, one out of every 10 verses in the book of Proverbs have to do with be careful about the op- opposite sex. Now again, this was a Solomon, a dad, writing to his son. So he's obviously talking about the adulterous woman, but it applies with either sex. And the dad talking to the son says this in chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Wow, tell me how you really feel about this, Solomon. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't mince words here. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now here's the dad. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep her path far from, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. As Christians, we just have to be very careful of our friendships. And the first step to something more than an innocent platonic relationship is a close friendship with an opposite sex. I don't see, I really don't see the purpose in them. I have too many pastor friends who are not in the ministry today because they did not heed this advice and somewhere somewhere in the United States there will be one or more pastors that will leave the ministry this week because they did not heed this advice there was a line that was crossed somewhere be careful 
on this whole relationships things. Opposite sex, sex, same sex. Be careful. A positive verse that Solomon gives us in 1320 of, of Proverbs, and, and you've, you've said this to your kids, your mom and dad said it to you. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise. That's why as parents we are so concerned with who our kids are hanging out with. And your parents were so concerned with who you were hanging out with when you were young. But it's the same verse goes when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s. Be very careful on who you choose to influence you. Be very careful on who you choose to direct you in some way because that's what friends do. We take their advice. We listen to their advice. <laughs> Just as Christians, we have to be very careful. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully. I think it could say the righteous are friendly to everyone. I think it could say the righteous don't turn their back and give a cold shoulder. I think it could say the righteous are not haughty and self-righteous and pharisaical about it, but they still choose their friends carefully. And I would not be an honest preacher if I did not go through a, a, a next step sermon series. If I did not talk about moving forward with God, if I didn't talk about who you choose your friends to be. Because they'll have everything to do with your future. Everything to do with your future. Now it, and especially when you're young in the faith. Now I've been on the way since 1993 and I'm stronger in the, in the faith and, 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 and I, I probably could go back this is probably not right that I haven't done this. I've never gone back to my high school reunion. I'm not saying this is right, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go back to your high school reunion. But you know what I'm going to do when I go back to the high school reunion? I'm going to see guys that I drank with and philandered around with and did all kinds of dumb stuff with. And I'm not sure how it helps me in my Christian walk to be reminded of all of that. Now, maybe you think I can go back and be a um, and be a good witness to them, and maybe that's true. I, I just have a healthy respect for my own ability to fall. And if you don't, if you don't, I don't know any words to say. If you don't, you're a fool. Have a healthy respect on your own ability to do something stupid. To have a healthy respect on your own ability, even at 63 years old, to go with the crowd. And I just don't want to deal with it. And I'm three and a half years away from retiring in ministry, and I don't want to do anything to mess it up. And that's probably overly, way overly cautious, and I'm probably we're weird about that, and I, I, I get that and all that. I, I, and you're probably right. And, and maybe I could do more good than it would do 
to harm me, but I'm just very, very careful because there is nothing, there is nothing at that high school reunion that will remind me about anything Christian, about anything that would take me closer to Jesus. That's a hard word, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And each of us have to work it out in our own way. I know that. But in many more verses that I could have, that I, that I could have quoted that I didn't, the Bible says, be very careful. Choose your friends carefully. So if that's the truth, where is a, where is a place that we find those friendships that are necessary and that are needed in our life to have people that can give us good counsel, to have people that can advise us, and to have people that can pray for us? Well, that's where the church comes in, and especially the part of the church that is not the large group gathering, but the smaller group gathering. Call them Sunday schools, call them small groups, call them whatever you want. You have a brochure in, in, your, in your pews today about all the different smaller group options that, that we have, and that's certainly not limited. Somebody could go out and start a brand new group tomorrow. But there's, there's lots of different ways that you can break down from the large group setting into the smaller group setting. Both are important. It starts with a large funnel. It starts with a large funnel, and it goes down to the small end of that funnel as you grow more and more closer to Jesus. And, and, and as you get discipled more, it just the large part, the large gathering is not the place that all that happens. It happens in the smaller gathering. And, and the church itself as a whole will become a more friendlier and a more personal place when you take the next step into a small group. Because when you're in a, when you're in a large group setting and you have two services and, and there's 500 people here and you, you just can't be friends with all these people. I mean, who could, who could deal with it? You can be acquaintances. You can be friendly. Hey, what's up? But you can't be friends with all these people. And, and church would be rather impersonal to you. And church would fall short. If, if The only thing if you experience is the top part of that funnel and you never get it down to the smaller group. The church could seem like an impersonal and a not very friendly place because it's just, hey, man, what's going on? How you doing? But, but it's, 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 in the, it's in the smaller group setting where 8 to 10 to 12 people get together that the church becomes real. And it becomes personal, and that you can find friends. Large group is great, it's part of who we are. But it's not all there is to it. The early church had a problem. The first part of the book of Acts, it's very plain. <laughs> you know what the problem was? It sounds weird to say, but you know what the problem was? They had too many people getting saved. <laughs> and, and, and they didn't know what to do with a whole bunch of people. And you, you, you hear the words in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, house to house, house to house. They were meeting in temple courts, but then they were meeting in houses. They had to break it down. It was getting out of control. They couldn't minister to one another. It was, it was, it was becoming too big. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 speaks a little bit of this. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news 
about Jesus the Messiah. The truth is that healthy churches, healthy churches grow larger and they grow smaller at the same time. Healthy churches grow larger and they go smaller at the same time. I heard some people sometimes say, well, I'd I, I just rather go to a small church, about 50 to 75 people. And, okay. And, and the reason they're saying that is because they want to know everybody. And so they don't want to go to a larger church because you can't know everybody. I would agree 100%. There's no way that you can do that unless, unless you're intentional and take advantage of smaller group opportunities. Sunday school, small groups, uh, manly Mondays, prayer breakfasts, ladies' Bible studies, so forth and so on, all move from the 500 level down to the 30 or 40 or below level. And you get to know people. And you get to know about their lives. And you get to hear about their prayer concerns. And you know what's really going on in their lives. And that sounds a whole lot like love one another. <laughs> Be merciful to one another. Be hospitable to one another. All the 50 plus one another's in the scripture. How can you, how can you obey the one another's in scripture with a large, in a large group setting? You can only obey those in a smaller group setting. Acts 2.42 is one of the preeminent verses when we talk about what the early church did and trying to break it down from large group to small group. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now go back to the previous verse, Amy. Well, there's really only four things that you do in a Sunday school, smaller group type of setting. It's really only four things that you do. And it says them right there. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching. Uh, the apostles' teaching. That's what we learn. And you shouldn't have to put this in here, but I'll, uh, it's, it's something that really happens in a smaller group setting. You learn and apply. Hopefully we don't learn just for learning's sake. <laughs> Hopefully apply is in the next breath after learn. There's no reason to learn something scripturally unless I apply it to my life. It's just head knowledge. But we learn and we apply. We also connect the breaking of bread. We also connect. We get to know one another. We get to know names of kids. And, and I, Can I be honest with you? I don't know all your kids' names. Can I just be honest with you? Can I say that? I don't know all your kids' names. I can't remember them all. I gave up on it a long time ago. Well, your small group can. If you expect that out of a pastor, you need to go to church with about 25 people in it. If you want the pastor to know everything about you and, and all your kids' names and every single one of your prayer requests and all of that, you need to go to a small church. And I'm not putting down small churches. I'm just saying pastors are limited on that. But as the large group breaks down to the smaller group, we can know one another. <laughs> we can know one another. So what do we do with, in a smaller group setting? You connect, you learn, you apply, 
and you pray. It's just, it comes straight from Scripture. Mark's not making that up. What's the great commandment? You love God and you love others. You love God with prayer and learning his word and apply it to your life, and you love others. The connecting is so, so important. The connecting is so, so important. Church becomes real to you. I can preach a message here, and, and, and I can say true stuff and true biblical stuff, but when you're sitting in a small group and, and you may be rehashing the sermon, or, or you remember when Pastor Mark said da-da-da-da-da-da, and you're kind of then talking about how that works out in your life, then it becomes real. Then it becomes really real. You can just kind of receive it here. But when you're sitting in a group and you're all talking about how whatever Pastor Mark said from the Bible applies to my life, then the Christian life becomes real. Someone smarter than I says, we, we don't need to just sit in pews. Setting in pews is good and it's important, but we also have to sit in circles. Someone much smarter than I said that. Sitting in pews is not enough. We also must sit in circles. Because when you sit in circles, in a small group setting, you're forced to deal with the topic at hand. You're not forced to deal with it right now. You can listen to me and go off and do whatever you want. But as you sit there with people that, that you have you see every week or you see every other week and, and they're your friends and you're talking about how this works in your marriage and how this works in your parenting, it becomes real when it's applied to our life. I, I really don't think that you can be the Christian God wants you to be without the large group setting funneled down to the smaller group setting. I think your discipleship and your walk with Jesus will be slowed. I'm not saying you can't grow in the large group setting. I would stop doing this if I didn't think there was some growth that can happen here. I would just give this up. Why waste my time on this? But I know if this is all you have, your discipleship and your walk with Jesus is not nearly what it could be if you would add the small group setting to that. So a couple of guys and and uh, you, you, you got some Christian friends, and you're, the guys are struggling. One guy's struggling in his marriage. And, and so three of the guys in a small group take him out to lunch, and they, they talk about it. And, and the guy says, man, you just got to keep me accountable to doing some things. I'm just not, you got to help, help me to be closer to my wife. And guys, would you ask me some questions, you know? When we come together, email me some questions and see how I'm doing on date nights and how I'm doing on, and not just getting my own little funk at home. And, and it's, it's in those settings where accountability can happen and transparency can happen that real growth can happen. But you, no, no one in this room right here is, is going to look you in the eye and, and, and say, okay, tell me, how, how, how'd, how'd you do on the internet this week? But you do that in a smaller group setting. You get two or three guys together and you go out to the coffee shop once every two weeks and, and you, you have some questions that you uh, have agreed to become accountable on. And man, there's, you get really serious about your Christian life then. Those tough questions can be avoided in the large group setting. 
It's harder to avoid them in the small group setting. And that may scare you about a small group setting. And if that scares you, then I would say full discipleship scares you as well. Because it's in those smaller group settings that we get real and talk about the real things in life. The biblical word for fellowship is, is the Greek word koinonia. It, it, means, it means so much more than a potluck supper. It, it, it means loving one another. It means helping one another. When, when, when Jen Tao went through what she went through several months back, the Kennison small group went into action. We did some things as a large group. I went and visited. I mean, we, we tried to care for her, but the small group can go into action in a way that can't if you're just an isolated person and you don't have a group of people around you that are really going through what you're going through and you've let them in on it. And man, when you go through hard times, the, the eight to ten people can pray with you they can they can visit you they can they can they can babysit your kids when you have a doctor's appointments to go to or whatever it is that's when church becomes real personal not nearly as much so in the large group setting the koinonia the fellowship that happens so small groups very much so help us to care for one another. It, can I just be honest with you? I mean, we don't have a huge church, do we? But if you expect me to be able to do all the pastoral care in this church, there's just a whole lot of it that ain't going to happen. Right, Harold? I mean, you just can't. And your church don't have to be too big to the pastor can't do all that anymore. And that's why the body comes together. You, you, know what the, you know what the Bible says my job is? Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, 11 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, he, ga he gave them to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Well, pastor, can't you build everybody up? No, I can't. No, I can't. And I would literally die trying. And there's been pastors that have killed themselves in the ministry because they tried to please every single person they possibly could. And they weren't trying to equip people so the body of Christ may be built up. Small groups help us care much better for one another the group the, the church should get larger and the church should get smaller at the same time i'm trying to encourage you to take a next step toward a smaller group maybe maybe your comfort level if you're a guy maybe your comfort level would just be nothing more than manly monday right now do it man you know we had 41 that's that was a little bit larger number than we usually had last monday it's usually somewhere around 30 to 35 but Maybe, maybe that's the first step for you. Maybe, maybe coming on, on first Tuesday of the month, we have a prayer breakfast. We had 13 guys there at 7 o'clock on um, 
this, this month's prayer breakfast. Maybe that's, maybe that's a little tough for you. Maybe you're not, you're not as comfortable with that. There's, there's, a, there's a manly Monday that you can come to. There's a men's Bible study that you can come to. There's a ladies, two ladies' Bible studies that are forming and going to crank up here in a couple of weeks. Where in, in, in Sue's, there'll be 30 to 35. And you'll, you'll, but, but even there, even in a group of 30 to 35, what's the first thing she does? Breaks it down to small groups. <laughs> because that's where the learning takes place. Anything else is just lecture. The very first thing she does is break them into small groups. So you can talk to one another and you can pray for one another and you can take one another's prayer request and, or you can love one another, care for one another. Ephesians chapter 4, right below the verse I just read to you, the last verse I'm going to read to you today. And, and, the, and the Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, we are to grow up in every way into Christ when each part is working properly and another translation says when each part is doing its own job then the church then will grow up then we'll grow up as we all understand our job for ministry and, and ministering is much easier in a smaller smaller setting I've told you before there's a few pastors in this church but there should be lots of ministers there should be lots of ministers and it's much easier to minister in a small group setting. <laughs> you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a little brochure in front of you. It's got a little card in it. Maybe you're not in a group and you want to be in a group and you want to take that little card and you want to drop, drop it right here in this box after the, after the service is over and we'll do the very best we can to try to get you hooked up. Maybe you're a new person. You, you, you don't know very many people and it's a way to, that you can get to know people is in a smaller group setting. So if this sounds something, if this sounds like something that you be interested in, we can we can help direct you on that by you filling out that little white card. And maybe the, maybe a group of eight to ten to twelve people is not it, and maybe it's just the ladies' Bible study or the men's Bible study or Manly Monday or just something like that. Take a step into a smaller group. You'll be better off spiritually for it. Now, let me tell you what I know. And here's, 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 here's one thing you don't know. There, there is very few people in this church that are as much as an introvert as I am. Now, I see you laugh. See, you don't believe me, do you? Just because I have the ability to get up in what I do. There's very few people that are as introverted and naturally as timid as I am in social settings. It doesn't come natural. So this stuff is not the easiest thing for me. And it has not been the easiest thing for me throughout my Christian life. And I know for some of you all, it's not the easiest thing to do. I know that. We live in America where we're all individuals. And so many people talk about, I was just reading it on Facebook. I wanted to get so, in, I wanted to get so involved in that Facebook thread, but I held back on it. Because they were just talking about their own individual walks with Jesus and that's good but they were talking about it like you know nobody else can say anything to me because it's 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 my walk with Jesus you know it's like me and Jesus got a good thing going me and Jesus got it all worked out except that's not biblical it's one another it's one another 
And so many things about the Christian life are not just, are not just you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew. It's those things that have to do with me, you know. It's, it's about how we treat one another. If, if the Christian life was just about don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't date girls that do, I mean, it would be easy. But it's about if we're really hitting on all cylinders. If we're really hitting on all cylinders as a church. But something, you know, one thing I like, one thing I like about this group, people right, sit right over here. They're the last ones to leave the sanctuary. I have to force them out and turn the lights out on them and stuff. Because they love one another and like one another and like to hang out with one another. kind of bugs me when we say amen and people just run for the exits. Something doesn't seem church about that. And a lot of times we run to the exits because we don't know anybody. And you're timid like me, and you're introvert like me, and you don't know anybody, so you're just going to stand here, and you know, and what are you going to do? And so you run for the exit. I get it. But there seems like something about that is less than church. It's less than church. So I've come today to give you a hard word, and I, I know even the small group word can get hard because it pushes some of us out of our comfort zones. And I know about the choosing your friends and reevaluating your friendships. I know that's a hard word. Because that sounds tough and pharisaical and self-righteous, but that's not the context that I preached it in. So as we finish our service today, our servers are coming to the table, and we'll close as we always do at the table. You know, um, Communion is, is not an individual thing. I, I guess if I, if I was maybe, I don't know, if I was maybe shut in, I don't know, maybe be okay if I would serve myself communion, I don't know. But even then, pastors come and serve it to you. It's, it's like it's us, man. We're all in this together. We're all in this road together. And so we do this thing that we remember the body and blood of Christ, which is our which is our come together point somebody says somebody says a church ought to be like the dmv because you go into the you go into the dmv and you renew your license or you get your new plates or something and in the and so there's 15 people and they're waiting and you're waiting them to call your number and there's a complete cross-section of humanity in there you got somebody in there that's registering his plates on his seventy-five thousand dollar beamer and you got somebody in there that was barely able to scrape up a thousand dollars and there's a complete diverse and cross-section of people in there. But we all come together with our unity that's in Jesus Christ. No matter what our station in life is. And that even gets more deeper when we're talking about small groups. Father, I think everybody understands what I'm saying. But this is a difficult word to follow through with. So there are some people that are ready for this truth and probably some people that aren't. But God, I just pray that you'd help us 
in this whole thing about friendships and evaluating friendships and then also about getting into smaller groups. I pray that you just would help us and lead us and, and guide us and that we would not only understand this truth and respect it, but that we could apply it to our lives in some way. And Father, we're getting ready to do something together. And we got, we're a completely diverse bunch of people that have all different ideas about all myriad of different things. We don't agree on everything. But we now come together at, at the, the very core of what we are united in. And that's our belief and trust and faith in what happened on the cross over 2,000 years ago. So I pray that we would remember that once again together. Together. In Jesus' name, amen. You come to the table, you can come to the altar. You can remain in your pews and I'll lead you in just a moment, however you choose to do that.